0: Welcome to the Alternate Timeline. Today we are talking about last week's episode about nighttime, uh, our relationship with sleep, work, and darkness. Um, We're going to talk about, on this bonus podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, supposedly natural sleep, like what that even means. Um, We're going to talk about napping, and um, we're going to talk about melatonin and a couple of other just like little odds and ends. Um, So first, just a little bit about the biology of sleep. Um, One of the really interesting things about sleep is that it seems as though pretty much
1: every animal sleeps, like even jellyfish, which is weird, right? biologically it would be so much better to not sleep right like if you are sleeping you are at risk of getting eaten by a predator or that's time that you're not spending like looking for food or looking for a mate right like you would think that there would be this like evolutionary um like force a natural selection pushing animals to not sleep and yet like every animal we know of sleeps. Um, I actually once wrote about a study that found that jellyfish, which don't even have brains, sleep. That's Sarah Kaplan. Now, there is some kind of
0: interesting pushback to this claim that everything sleeps um, among academics. So in a review paper from 2008, a researcher named Jerome M. Siegel argued that this claim, that every animal sleeps, um, is maybe like kind of meaningless and should be reconsidered. He basically argues that when we say that we're defining sleep way too broadly. Um, and like, it doesn't really make sense to lump our sleep, our behavior where we like lay down, close our eyes, our brains go into this very specific process. You know, you can't react really quickly. Um, you know, you know what sleep is. I don't need to describe sleep to you, but it sort of doesn't make sense. He's saying to lump that in with like what cockroaches do or what fish do, because they don't do that same thing. Um, Like, is it fair to say that an animal that stops running around and just, like, kind of relaxes a little bit in a hole for a while is sleeping? Like, is that sleeping? Um, And in some creatures, when you look for the brain signature of something like REM sleep, you don't find it. Um, In other cases, you, like, can't even look for that signal because there's no central brain to even study. So, like, a jellyfish, you can't, like, look for REM sleep in a jellyfish using brain signals. And so he's basically arguing that, like, we are just, we say this thing that like, oh, everything sleeps, but like in that, when we say that we're defining sleep really broadly to the point where it's like almost meaningless. Um, and really what we're saying is that everything rests in some kind of way and has multiple states, like very active and hunting and, you know, whatever. And then a non-active state, but like, is that the same thing as sleep, which is super interesting. I'll link to that paper in the show notes. Um, On the other end of the spectrum is the argument that plants actually also sleep. Um, Researchers have measured the sleep movements of fully grown trees using like a time-lapse laser point measurement system in a forest. And they found that trees tend to kind of droop a little bit at night. um, And they call that sleep. But again, like, can we call that sleeping? Like, what does that mean? I think that's sort of unclear. Um, we also don't actually know the quote unquote natural sleep patterns of humans. So here's Matthew Wolfmeyer explaining why.
2: One of the things I try and impress on people is that, like, there's no naturally occurring sleep, right? So, like, there have been attempts over the course of the 20th century to try and isolate people in ways that you can tr- try and get at what quote-unquote natural sleep is, right? And so some of those experiments are like putting people in caves where they put people in controlled conditions in a laboratory in order to see what happens, right? And in doing that, you know, sometimes they simulate daylight over, you know, like the course of a 24-hour day. Other times, like in caves, it's all just like nocturnal living in some sense, right? There's like lights that people use, but they're not, uh, it doesn't really simulate daylight in the same way, right? The problem with those kinds of experiments is that we are always social sleepers, right? That like when we sleep, it is always informed by the other people and other kind of components of our everyday lives, right? So even in small scale, hunter-gatherer communities, they have all sorts of responsibilities, right? And so, you know, whether it's collecting food in the morning before it gets too hot or taking kids to school or, you know, whatever the case is, there are all of these kinds of social obligations that are structuring how people sleep, right? So, you know, sometimes scientists think like, well, if we just go to Africa or if we go to, like, Highland Peru will figure out what, you know, prehistoric sleep looked like, right? But the problem is all of those communities are, like, deeply tied into, like, global capitalism these days, right? And so, they act as tour guides, they take their kids to state-sponsored schools, like, it's not natural sleep there either, right? So, without a time machine, we can't really figure out what prehistoric sleep looked like, right? But you know, we also can't really figure out what it looks like in a laboratory setting because all that is going to be artificially produced, right? And even if you, like, and so if you think about, well, why don't you just put a bunch of people by themselves in laboratory cells and see what happens to them over a period of time? That's not really how humans sleep, right? It might, in some sense, isolate, like, the function of sleep in a way but by cutting out all of those social influences, you don't really get at how sleep is structured for people in their everyday lives, right? And so as soon as you start putting more people into that laboratory space, you start getting, you get a kind of truer understanding of what sleep looks like. But it becomes less and less, quote unquote, natural when you do that, right? So it's, it's kind of always elusive.
0: We talked about how sleep got consolidated and then how, like, if you have trouble sleeping in that consolidated way, you wind up diagnosed with a sleep disorder, even though it's pretty clear that, like, we probably don't naturally sleep in this one big chunk. And a lot of that consolidation, again, is because we sleep, We see sleep as something necessary for us to maintain our role as like good workers, good worker bees, ready to take on the day and do our jobs. Um, And the formalization of sleep wasn't just so that you could get the most out of workers in one chunk of time in the day, kind of literally as they go in, but also so that you can kind of codify sleep as a part of the process of working.
2: So if we can just minimize the amount of time that we have to sleep, we can maximize the amount of time that we can go to work, right? Or... um, And especially in the case of the kind of later 20th century, there's all this interest in developing like workplace napping, right? Or other kinds of opportunities for people to sleep while they're at work. And it's often kind of cast as like, this is good for workers, but it's actually really good for businesses. Because if you like take a 20 minute nap and you feel totally rested, when five o'clock rolls around, you won't really feel like you need to go home in quite the same way that you would if you're totally exhausted, right? So <clears throat> the, the, I, th- I think the, the those kinds of like ways that people talk about efficiency and the way that we experience exhaustion are these things that are really tied together. And, you know, we kind of take it for granted that a lot of adults need a cup of coffee in the morning and in the middle of the day, right? And that's all about kind of promoting efficiency too. Um and I mean don't get me wrong, I drink a cup of coffee every morning too, right? But like it's just so woven into the fabric of American everyday life that we it's just unquestioning, right? And um and so much of that is really like for the sake of doing work, right? Like We might take a nap in order to go back to the party or we might drink an energy drink or something in the evening in order to do something fun but we're going to pay for it on the other end because we still have to go to work or go to school the next day right
0: Speaking of napping, um, Kelton Minor, who you heard talking about how heat impacts people's sleep, actually mentioned napping as well. So as part of their study, they measured whether people made up for the sleep lost at night when it's hotter by napping more during the day. And they found that people on average had a lower probability of taking naps on warmer days. So overall, people lost even more sleep than maybe they originally kind of Um, reported if you measure total sleep during a 24-hour period, including naps, rather than just measuring nighttime sleep, which is very interesting. Okay. um, The other thing that we cut was a little bit about melatonin. So you've probably heard about melatonin. Maybe you've taken melatonin. It's a drug that kind of helps people get to sleep. But um, experts actually do not recommend that shift workers take it or that really anybody takes it regularly all the time, like every time you need to sleep. Um, Here is Sarah Kaplan explaining why.
1: Melatonin is a chemical that your body uh, produces, you know, to respond to light, right? So it it has, plays a role in your circadian rhythm, Um, but taking melatonin in order to, is not going to convince your circadian rhythm or your biological clock that it's not light out. So you're not really like, the problem is that your biological clock is like, sensing the light and then doing, you know, doing all of these things that make your body feel wakeful. Um, and melatonin can kind of temporarily kind of override that, but it's not, um, it's not really a long-term solution and, uh, and it's not really helping to address this like disparity between what your biological clock is thinking and what your sleep drive is thinking. Um, that's really the thing that needs, you know, those two things need to like work in harmony, and um, most of the scientists that I talk to don't really recommend taking melatonin all the time um, as this like band-aid solution for a shift work-related sleep disorder. But there is actually another drug
0: that researchers are working on that has a lot of promise, and that is super interesting.
1: There is research on this particular protein called um, SIK1, that is associated with um, with kind of like stabilizing the circadian rhythm and scientists have found that if you can manipulate the amounts of SIK1, you can actually help people's circadian rhythms change more quickly. So it's like useful for potentially overcoming jet lag. Um, and basically what this protein does is it just like, um, suppresses the effect of light on your biological clock. So it it enables you to disconnect your biological clock from light exposure. And I feel like if we could figure that out, then that might be really helpful for making this transition to a nocturnal lifestyle without having to suffer sleep loss in the process. Um, But definitely this research is like pretty early stages. There's not like a medication you can take right now.
0: So that's what we cut from this episode, just a couple of, like, odds and ends here and there. Um, One thing that we did think about including but didn't end up getting into is sleep and parenting – So obviously, if you've ever been a parent, you know that sleep schedules are very weird, particularly early on, Um, and you often do wind up taking shifts and being kind of up at odd hours and all that. Um, And we thought about including some stuff on that, but we couldn't find the right expert to talk about it in the time frame that we had, so we did not include it. Um, Sometimes I like to tell you things that we did consider talking about and didn't for whatever reason, because I always get emails being like, why didn't you talk about this or like whatever. Um, And sometimes it's that we didn't think of it, sometimes we didn't think of it, and sometimes we did, but we decided not to for whatever reason. Um, Okay, just a quick, um, like, planning schedule note. There will not be an episode of the show next week. It turns out... Every academic seems to be on vacation right now, so we are having a really hard time getting folks on the phone for the next couple of episodes, and so we're giving ourselves a little bit more time to get them all lined up so that we can make sure that they're all spot on and ready for you. We will be back on August 17th um, with more episodes. Okay, that's like short and sweet bonus podcast this time. We didn't end up cutting a lot um, from the nighttime thing. Um and that's kind of what that's what that's what we have. And then at the end, a secret, oh, this is a bummer one. Um I tore my calf muscle a week and a half ago-ish. Um, and I tore it at the climbing gym. And so I'm not allowed to walk really right now, which is not great for me because I am very restless and I like pace a lot in my office and I'm just like not allowed to do anything. Um, which is not great. Not having a great time, but Hopefully it'll tail heal. It's slowly getting better, but it's just very annoying. Um so that's me. I'm just hanging out, hanging out, rolling my office chair around the house. Um, okay, that's it for the bonus podcast this week. It's a short and sweet one. We'll be back on the 17th with more episodes. and I hope you are all having a great day. okay.